Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, I know I've been uh, missing in action for a while, but kind of getting back into it. Um, I've kind of shared what's been going on, all good stuff, of course, but uh, nonetheless, we've been a little slacking on uh, content production, so we're going to get back into that. Anyway, uh, we get a lot of emails that doesn't stop the emails when we're not producing new stuff, and one of the questions I'm asked a lot is what's my all-time favorite botanical to use in aquariums? Now, you'd think that I'd likely reference some exotic seed pod, some crazy tropical leaf, or some root from some plant you've never heard of, right? The reality is that my all-time favorite botanical to use in our botanical method tanks is the humble oak twig, or oak twigs, or branches, and for that matter, the leaves. Yes, the humble, decidedly non-exotic oak tree, is a sort of a one-stop shop for the botanical method aquarium enthusiast. Now, why oak? Well, first of all, these are some of the best materials to use because, in my humble opinion, not only do they contribute to the physical structure of your tank, they also impact the ecology and the water chemistry in significant ways as well. They're all surprisingly durable, long-lasting, and aesthetically pleasing as well. And, of course, they're readily available for a lot of us. Uh, Oak twigs and branches... Uh, are interesting materials. They absorb water and they begin to impart tannins, which tint the water, and lignans and other compounds into the water column. Not only will you notice that visible tint to the water when you utilize oak branches and twigs, you'll have a perfect substrate upon which biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. The other beauty of oak is that you can collect these materials yourself if you have a source of them nearby, as I'd mentioned. Oak now is a pretty common tree around the world, or at least in the northern hemisphere, it belongs to the genus called Quercus. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of it, but that's how I believe it's pronounced. <laughs> it's part of the beech family, Fagaceae, with almost 500 species. It's a really large and diverse genus, which according to Wikipedia, is native to the Northern Hemisphere and includes deciduous and evergreen species extended from cool, temperate to tropical latitudes in the Americas, Asia, Europe, and North Africa. North America has the largest number of oak species with approximately 160 species in Mexico, of which 109 are endemic and about 90 in the United States. The second greatest area of oak diversity is China with approximately 100 species. So to put it in plain English, in in my uh, language here, oak is found across a broad swath of the planet, making it one of the most readily available and accessible botanical resources for hobbyists worldwide. The fact that you can collect them yourself if you can source them is just a huge plus for everybody. Now, like any botanical, sourcing and preparation are important considerations with oak-derived materials. If you collect them yourself or if you purchase them from a well-regarded vendor like, I don't know, say, Tannin Aquatics, for example, you're going to be working with materials that are essentially clean and non-polluted, which means that preparation is going to consist of steeping or boiling leaves and just steeping if you have a big enough pot a boiling of twigs and branches as well 
Okay, let's digress just a bit because that old question about why we prepared stuff for use in our crimes keeps coming up again and again. Now, obviously I use the word clean. By clean, I mean maybe not chemically polluted, but things found in nature are never clean, clean. You see it on our packaging, you hear it discussed on the Tint Podcast, and you read about it in articles that I publish here and everywhere else. Yet there appears to be some confusion about what exactly we mean by preparation and why we do it. Yeah, it's not a secret that before you throw those, you know, twigs and seed pods and leaves in your corn, you need to do some preparation. Why? Well, seriously, uh, the, first of all, the, the reason I'm talking about this again is I literally receive, I don't know, three to four emails every single week from customers of ours and from others, apparently, asking what to do with botanicals after they receive them. So it's pretty obvious to me that some people just aren't seeing this stuff. They're not hearing it. They're not reading our instructional cards, social media posts, or just not getting advice from the people they purchase their leaves or seed pods from. You know, isn't eBay great? What a, what a resource for serious hobbyists. Really. Now, anyway, back to things here. I know it's starting to sound a bit repetitive, but we're going to cover it one more time. With the world botanical style, you know, method aquarium, you know, movement growing at this exponential rate and more and more hobbyists entering the fray, many of whom are, you know, sort of enamored by this beautiful aesthetics. It's important that, well, it's actually essential that we revisit the mechanics of this stuff again. And really because most of the newer vendors in our market space simply appropriate much of the information we put into the community and push their products, let's give those lazy ass mother, well, whatever. Let's give them something useful to share since they're not bothering to provide this information themselves apparently. Okay, my mini hate rant is over. So Scott, you're really into boiling and steeping botanicals, aren't you? Yes, I am, that's my thing. And you say, why do you do that, Scott? Well, consider that boiling water is used as a method of making water potable by killing microbes that may be present. Now, most of these nasty microbes that we don't want essentially check out at temperatures greater than 60 degrees centigrade, which is about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. For a high percentage of microbes, if water is maintained at 70 degrees centigrade, it's 158 degrees Fahrenheit for 10 minutes, many organisms are killed, but some are more resistant to heat and require one minute at the boiling point of water. And for your information, the boiling point of water is 100 degrees centigrade or 212 Fahrenheit. I, and I said centigrade, I mean Celsius, I'm sorry. I don't know, that's, that's Mr. Metric here. <laughs> but for the most part, most of the nasty bacteria that we don't want in our tanks, or for that matter, our stomachs, are eliminated by the simple process of boiling. That's why things are boiled. So when it makes sense to boil or at least steep our botanicals before we dump them into our aquariums, yeah, it would. 10 minutes of boiling is like golden to assure a good kill, in my opinion. Of course, we boil for other reasons, too, as we'll touch on in just a bit. The most important reason that we boil or steep botanicals is to kill those microorganisms which might be present on them. Leaves and seed pods, all that stuff. They've been exposed to rain and dust and all sorts of things in the natural environment, which in the confines of an aquarium could introduce unwanted organisms and contribute to the degradation of water quality. That's no secret. And the surface textures and the, just the surface structure of many botanical items, such as leaves and seed pods and twigs, lend themselves to retaining good old dirt, soot, dust, and other atmospheric pollutants that, although quite likely harmless in the grand theme of, you know, scheme of things, are not stuff that you want to start with in your tank. So we give all our bot botanicals a good rinse with fresh water, and then we boil them or steep them. That's kind of my thing. Boiling also serves to soften botanicals, and that's important for a number of reasons. Well, the most obvious is that it helps saturate the tissues of the botanicals and make them sink. I mean, who wants a bunch of floating seed pods and twigs and leaves in their aquarium? Oh, wait a second. Don't tempt me here. I might try that. No, but really, if you remember your high school botany, which 
for some reason I remember parts of it. Uh, if you remember high school botany, uh, leaves, for example, are pretty complex structures with multiple layers designed to reject pollutants, facilitate gas exchange, drive photosynthesis, and store sugars for the plant, uh, for the benefit of the plant upon which they're found. As such, it's important to get them to release some of the materials which mount, might be bound up in the epidermis, the outer layers of the leaves. As we get deeper into the structure of a leaf, we find the mesophyll, which is a layer of tissue in which much of the photosynthesis takes place. Now, we typically only use dried leaves, or twigs for that matter, in our botanical method aquariums because leaves from deciduous trees, which naturally fall off trees in seasons of inclement weather, have lost most of their chlorophyll and their sugars contained within the leaf structures. This is important because having these compounds present, as in you know, living leaves, contributes excessively to the bioload of the aquarium when you submerge them. Makes sense, right? Now, personally, I feel that we have enough bioload going into our tank, so why add to it by using freshly fallen leaves with all their sugars and starches and stuff still largely present? I mean, it's definitely something worth experimenting with in controlled circumstances at some point, but for most botanical method aquarium geeks, using naturally fallen dried leaves and twigs and seed pods and stuff is the way to go. Now, again, I'm still going to recommend that, like I do, you embrace preparation process for every botanical item that you add to your aquariums. Now, I can't say that I, I, I do it for every single thing every single time, even though I'm going to recommend it because I want the best possible outcome for the largest number of people. However, I experiment. I've been doing this decades, so I kind of get a feel when something's good, and I don't usually do things that are going to kill my fish, intentionally anyway. And now with branches and twigs, the idea of practicality comes in. I mean, most of us simply don't have a freaking cauldron or some big-ass kettle, let alone a stove large enough upon which we can boil a bunch of, you know, oak branches or twigs, right? So compromise is kind of in order. Soaking is not a bad thing. Now, I've touched on the idea of in-situ preparation of wood, you know, doing it actually in the tank. And it really does make sense with oak branches, too, largely because of the size issues. And then consider this. It's pretty obvious that at least part of the reason we see a burst of new algae growth and biofilm and fungal growth in wood that's recently added to the aquarium is that there's so much stuff bound in it. Organics, and I use that air quotes when I say organics, like sugars, lignans, and compounds found in soils, all that kind of stuff, algal and fungal spores, can literally bloom during the initial period after submersion. It's exactly what happens in the wild aquatic habitats in the world when you know tree trunks and branches fall into streams and are covered by water. Now, I get it. A lot of hobbyists simply don't want to see this stuff in their display tank. On the other hand, the adventurous aquarist in me can't help but wonder if we should just give the wood a thorough washing and let this whole process play out in the aquarium to sort of foster this awesome biodiversity within the aquarium itself. I mean, weigh, weigh the, the, the wood down with a couple of rocks and just walk away for a while. Again, it's an example of setting up aquariums from the start to replicate both the form and function of nature. Now, why not do this, especially with self-collected stuff like oak branches, for that matter? What would be the downsides? Well, I've done it quite a few times now with no real issues. It just takes longer to get to that area where it's not completely covered in biofilms, but, you know, it's different. It starts with what you see. You'll see a lot more biofilm, a lot more fungal growth, detritus, perhaps even slightly hazy water. You'll have to carefully monitor the nitrogen cycle and manage nutrient accumulations and, and, and just maintain overall good husbandry. You'll have to employ a lot of patience, and yeah, I'd recommend testing during that you know, break-in process. You know, testing for what, Scott? Well, I'd likely do ammonia and nitrite, for starters. And of course, the question is, have you done all this testing when you tried this, Scott? And no, not always, I admit. 
Why? Well, for one thing, it's because I'm in no rush to add fishes to brand new tanks. Because I let my tanks develop biologically for a long time before adding them. And I'm talking months. I did, you know, out of sheer, you know, curiosity, of course, add fish quickly. And I found that the cycle time was really nothing extraordinary at all when you cure the wood in the tank. Really, the biggest difference between this in-tank curing and using an external container was that any of the stuff that emerged from the wood or the twigs or whatever itself would leach into and accumulate in the display tank and impact the water appearance and probably the chemistry. Although I admit I didn't notice a significant difference in nitrate or phosphate in new tanks where the curing process was undertaken internally. Remember, I'm a water change guy. I'm always changing waters. 10% every week. So there was some dilution of whatever organics were being released into the water. Really, the biggest difference determined by testing was often TDS, total dissolved solids. And of course, because TDS represents the total concentration of dissolved substances in water, it can include, include things like inorganic salts as well as a number of, any number of organic matter or materials. To me, TDS is always a sort of a vague thing, quite honestly. I mean, it could be so many different things. Regardless, when I cured in situ, TDS readings, readings were a little bit higher than in tanks where the process wasn't employed. Do some of the other materials leached out of the wood have implications for, you know, healthy tank break-in and operation? Can you even test for everything that leaches out of newly submerged wood and twigs and stuff like that other than simply labeling these compounds as organics? Well, likely not, at least not in the hobby world. Well, I mean, lignin is one substance that you might find leaching out of wood. And actually, there are lignin test kits out there for scientific work. I suppose it would be interesting and maybe informative to test for them to just see what the concentration was, although... I'm not really sure what function it would you know, perform other than to just kind of know, hey, there's lignin in my water. Just like testing for tannins, interpreting what's baseline or even okay for lignin is something that we have really never done in the hobby. Another supposition would be that lignin concentrations might be different in a filtered aquarium than it would be in some big container of water without a filter that you might cure wood in. I mean, there's all kinds of interpretations here and you could drive yourself crazy. The point is that there's some things that we just don't know. We assume, yes, I use the word assume. I mean, whenever we cure wood externally, we're almost always going to see lots of that yucky biofilm and fungal growth on the surface tissues anyway. That's par for the course when terrestrial materials are submerged in water. The real issue that makes in situ curing a lot more or a bit more unusual is the possible, you know, gross pollutants that may leach out of the wood, you know, dirt and stuff like that. I suppose that'd be stuff like dust, dirt, maybe sap, I don't know. Uh, stuff that's bound up on the surface tissues of the woods. Uh, now, probably not stuff you necessarily want in your tank, but is it toxic or is it going to stay toxic for months after you, before you put your fish in? Not likely. Now, I did a lot of search research on this on online forums and articles, and the reasons why it's recommended that would be cured outside of the display tank are always listed as, in no particular order, you know, to leach out impurities, to leach out tannins, to let the fungal growth subside, and to waterlog and sink. So other than the water log and sink thing, which you could accomplish in the display tank by simply placing a few rocks on the wood, in my opinion, none of the other reasons given for external curing of wood are really non-starters here. It's occasionally stated that boiling wood or extended soaking help, you know, helps to eliminate ex you know, potential parasites that might be present in or on the wood. Now, I'd hazard a guess that most of the wood used in aquariums doesn't have a significant population of parasites that could harm fishes either. And again, even if there are such parasites present, if you're taking your time to add fishes, essentially keeping your tank, you know, fallow without fishes for a period of time, 
you're essentially denying any parasites that are present their host to develop in their life cycle. Kind of like in tank with ick, with no fish, it's eventually the life cycle gets broken. I don't know, am I missing something here? Maybe. Look, I don't really think so, but it's just that I don't see the stuff that happens during the curing process as a problem. So in C2 curing, you see I've come full circle now, it's not perfect, it's not a guaranteed route to accomplish everything that you want easily, but it works. And the process and its impact on the ecology of your aquarium is not all that different than what occurs in nature when you think about it. In nature, it's not uncommon for small and large trees to fall in the rainforest with you know, all this punishing rain and saturated ground conspiring to easily knock over anything that's not you know, deeply rooted. So when these trees fall over, they often fall into small streams or in the case of the Varzea or Agapo environments in the Amazon, you know, the ones I'm obsessed with, they fall and are ultimately submerged in the inundated forest floor when the waters return. And of course, they immediately impact their now aquatic environment, fulfilling several functions. Fallen trees provide a physical barrier or a separation from currents, perhaps creating a little, you know, little dam which accumulates leaves and sediments and detritus, which are all important food sources to a huge number of aquatic organisms. They also provide a substrate for algae and biofilms to multiply on and provide places for fishes to forage among and hide in. Many fishes, like small cichlids, will reproduce and raise their fry among these fallen tree trunks. An entire community of aquatic life forms uses fallen tree trunks and branches for all kinds of purposes. And the tree trunks, branches, and other parts of the tree will last for many, many years, fulfilling this important role in the aquatic ecosystems they now reside in each time the waters return. So all this talk of prep is important, but the idea of prep can accomplish many things, or can encompass many things, excuse me. It's one of those things that we as hobbyists know to do, but we always sort of second guess ourselves about how to do. The fact is we need to embrace some sort of preparation protocol for any natural materials that we use in our aquariums. Okay, that was an enormous detour from our primary focus here, but kind of a necessary one. Um, now look, I love creating tanks in which the hardscape consists mainly of twigs and small branches. And oak, That's yes, that's what we started talking about here. Oak is like the perfect provider of these materials, by the way. It keeps things super simple and easy. And the beautiful thing about this idea is you don't necessarily have to use 12 different varieties of branches and all this stuff to create a remarkably complex and quite interesting aquascape. Just You could just use oak. Oak twigs and branches and oak leaves are pretty much all you need for this really sweet botanical method aquarium, in my opinion. It's not just about the aesthetic, of course. The idea is that you're creating a matrix of these materials to impart a very natural, interesting look to the aquarium, and the aggregations provide physical uh, protection for fishes. They provide them with hiding places, foraging areas, and spawning sites, just like they do in nature. We're talking mainly about, you know, twigs and roots, not the huge, you know, I'm not talking about tree trunks here, because I'm not collecting big oak tree trunks, trust me. Now, such root tangles and branches do take up some physical space in the confines of your aquarium, and you need to take this into account when you're stocking, equipping, and maintaining these tanks. Uh, access, you know, water capacity, and filter intakes and outputs need to be considered when you move into in, in a project like this, but that's half the fun anyway, isn't it? By the end, at the end of the day, the use of oak twigs and branches and stuff and the organisms which take advantage of them is one of the most stunning aspects of nature that we could actually see in our own aquariums provided we don't edit them out of our tanks. So like any dynamic habitat, kind of replicating a twig and branch and root microhabitat relies on a variety of organisms to do the job of processing nutrients. 
A real diverse assemblage of uh, organisms dwelling in this layer, ranging from bacteria to fungi and worms and small crustaceans, uh, comprise what we call the infauna. Essentially, the infauna is a collective of organisms which do most of the work in keeping a botanical method aquarium functional and healthy. The bottom line is, be kind to these organisms and they'll no doubt be kind to you. And of course, this habitat is perfectly analogous to what you see in nature, isn't it? In nature, we see leaves and other materials accumulate in these root tangles and fallen branches. So recreating this in the aquarium is kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? When assembled in conjunction with a nice aggregation of oak leaves, this configuration provides a remarkably interesting aquarium with a different sort of aesthetic. And it's super easy to do. You've got looks, you've got function, you've got versatility. That's what makes using oak so cool. That's what makes oak literally a one-stop shop for your botanical method aquarium needs. Now, we probably didn't cover every single thing we could have talked about with oak today. I'm sure you'll have some questions and bring them up the next time we do a Leafy Live with, with Ben and myself. And maybe you, you can shoot me an email if you want. But I think we've covered quite a few ideas about using these natural materials in your aquarium. And I hope I've given you food for thought to try to get started on your own on that. Stay creative. Stay inspired. Stay engaged. Stay observant and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.